everybody look at your neighbor and say, I pity the fool. We're in the fourth week of our series entitled I Pity the Fool, where we're looking at the great wisdom of the one and only Mr. T. Where in his famous catchphrase, he says, I pity the fool. He's really saying a whole lot more than that. He's telling us that he feels bad for people that don't operate and don't live in wisdom. And here at Living Church, we want all of us to be able to live and operate in wisdom because it's right here, y'all. God's given us wisdom right here that if we would just read it and get it and put it into our hearts, that it would create life change for us. If you've missed any of the weeks of the series, I would encourage you to go online to livingchurch.com and you can click the media tab and you can catch up there because God's been speaking some great things. The first week, we talked about how there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, how they're two different things, right? That uh, if you know that a tomato is a fruit, that's knowledge. But it's wisdom to know to not put it in the fruit salad because that would taste nasty, right? So wisdom is applying the knowledge. So we talked about that and how we have to chase after it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Get wisdom, though it costs all you have, get understanding and cherish her, and she will exalt you. It says, embrace her, and she will honor you. There's this great idea that we need to chase after and pursue wisdom. And when we embrace her, when we hug on to the personhood of wisdom, that she will bring with her everything that's in her hands. The Bible says that she holds in her hands length of days and health and riches and glory. And we chase these things. What we really need to be doing is pursuing wisdom for ourselves. Then the second week, we talked about how humility is the key to wisdom. How that when we have a heart that is humble, it opens us up to receive new knowledge and new understanding. We talked about how Solomon was the wisest guy in all of the Bible. And how when Solomon went to God and he said, God, I want you to give me wisdom, he approached with a humble heart. He said, God, I'm like a little child who's lost, who's wandering around the dark. I don't know what to do. And when we put ourselves in a position of humility, it allows somebody else to pour wisdom into us. But many times we put on the lid of pride and we don't allow any wisdom to come in. So having a humble heart is extremely important. And then last week, we talked about the friend of the fool, and his name is the sluggard. The sluggard, the the man who is slow, the man who is lazy, the man who has no motivation or drive. And the Bible draws this beautiful contrast for us between the slug and the ant, the ant who is driven and motivated and always working. And the Bible tells us that we need to be chasing after what's next in our life. You know, the Bible says that a little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you. And I like that term, a little sleep, a little slumber. We talk about how as kids we would go to slumber parties, right? But if you're an adult and your life looks like a slumber party, maybe you've got a slug that's attached itself to you. And so last week we poured some salt on the slugs, we poured some truth on the slugs to get them off of us. Well, this week, week number four, we're talking about a different personality trait of the fool, a different characteristic of people that would be walking in foolishness. And I want to read a couple verses of scripture, and after I read the first one, you're going to pick up and get what the trait of a fool is. Proverbs 29, verse 11, it says this, A fool always loses his temper, oh man, but a wise man holds it back. A person who always loses their temper, who always loses control, the Bible says is foolish. Have you ever lost your keys? or lost your phone, or lost your wallet, it's the worst, right? Because something you're supposed to be in control of, you have lost that thing. And so the Bible's saying that if you're losing your temper, that you're operating as a fool. It goes on, it says this in Proverbs 12, 16. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. That being angry and acting erratically, it dishonors you. 
And so a wise man would conceal their emotions sometimes and say, I'm not going to act the way I want to act. It's still inside, but I'm not going to let that thing out only to embarrass myself. A fool's anger is known at once. If you have a short fuse, if you find yourself exploding places, then maybe there's an area of your life that you need to gain some wisdom in. Proverbs 14, 17 says this, A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man who schemes is hated. Proverbs 14, 29, it says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Folly is foolishness. And if you live with a quick temper, then you're exalting, you're lifting up, you're praising the foolishness in your life. So the Bible says we have to get control of our feelings and walk with wisdom. Ecclesiastes 7.9, which Ecclesiastes is also written by Solomon, he says this, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. So powerful. You ever seen people with a lap dog? They got their little lap dog, they're just petting on their lap. The Bible says that a fool has anger like a lap dog, that it just lives in their lap. And then when they get up, their attack dog starts to go after people. I like it how it says it in the New Living Translation. It says, control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Control it, or else you're going to label yourself at work. You're going to label yourself in your family. You're going to label yourself in your neighborhood as a fool if you're allowing your temper to get out of control. So the Bible's telling us that a person who can't control their emotions and has these big outbreaks and is yelling and screaming and acting crazy all the time is foolish. But a person who is able to control themselves and walk with wisdom and deal with situations in a slower manner is wise. And so what we want to do is we want to apply some of that wisdom to our lives. Proverbs 16, 32 It says, he who is slow to anger, I hate this one, (laughs) he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who captures a city. In my life, I want to be someone who rules. I want to be someone who can take over, someone who can conquer, someone who is mighty. But the Bible says it's better to be controlling of yourself than it is controlling of any other situation. And before we can gain control of all of these things, we have to get control of this thing. And it goes on here, Proverbs 17, 27. It says, he who restrains his words has knowledge. Who restrains his words. You know, sometimes when we get angry and we get emotional, the first thing that starts slipping are the words that we're speaking. It says, he who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Have you ever said something that you immediately regret? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only person. You say something, and then right after you say it, like, oh, I wish I could pull that back in. Or have you ever said something that got you into trouble, right? And you said it, and you're going, I'm going to pay for that for at least a month, right? You say those things. They just kind of come out. Uh, maybe uh, you said something that you knew was wrong. You knew it was wrong, but because you were angry, you backed it up anyways, You should have just humbled up and been like, my bad, I shouldn't have said that. But no, you're so mad, I'm going to back up this wrong idea. Anyways, uh, in your anger, have you ever taken it too far? Have you ever hurt somebody's feelings? Have you ever really disrespected somebody? Have you ever intimidated someone? Or have you ever hurt somebody that you love because your anger got out of control? Have you ever felt the volcano bubbling inside of you? And then you see the smoke start coming out and the rocks are shooting and and lava is spilling everywhere. And all you're thinking to yourself is stop talking. But it just keeps erupting, right? 
that you're in good company this morning because all of us at some point, things happen and there's times in our life where we lose control of our emotions. But the Bible says that we need to understand what's happening and get a hold on the emotions that are in our life. And can I tell you, I've been guilty of all those things. I've been guilty of being rude and being angry and being disrespectful to people that I've worked for, to my family, to my friends, to my wife. There have been times that I haven't been able to control my feelings and that I act out in a way that's foolish. And if you were to hear and you were to say, you know what, I've never done that. I've never done that before, then I would say, well, you're a person of great wisdom and discipline, or you are a liar and a manipulator, and you need to get saved, right? I would say one of those two things. I think that all of us have found ourselves um, having uh, frustration just kind of come out of us. You know, anger is an emotion. And emotions are provided to us by God to use for our benefit. So anger is not always bad. Sometimes anger is a good thing. If there's injustice in the world, we can get angry at that injustice and it can motivate us to help make a difference. If someone is disrespecting someone that you love, anger is going to rise up in you and allow you to want to protect that thing that is yours. So, not, so the, this is not a stop having feelings sermon. Have your feelings. Because so, sometimes stuff happens. Sometimes people really do frustrate you and bad things really do happen. And sometimes anger is real. But don't sin while you're angry. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4, 2. It says, be angry and do not sin. It's so good, y'all. I could preach a whole message just on this. Be angry. There's some times that it's justified that you're angry. Be angry, but do not sin. In your anger, don't lose control of yourself. In your anger, don't hurt those around you. But then it goes on, it says this. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I love it because this verse is speaking to both sides of the coin here. Because there's some of us that are eruptors, and there's some of us that are suppressors. And it's saying that no matter who you are, you got to deal with it. If you're an eruptor who yells and screams and gets mad, don't sin in your anger. If you're a person who, when you get mad, you suppress it and don't talk to me. I'm not talking to you. And you turn over in bed like, I'm not talking to you till tomorrow, right? The Bible says right there, don't do, Rachel doesn't do that. She gives it all to me, man. And so, and so, oh man. And so what the Bible's saying is don't just push it down. Don't just not deal with it. The Bible says don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't let time pass without dealing with that thing in your life. There's a story uh, in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 6 of a guy who got himself into trouble because he said some things that he shouldn't have said. And it says this, what happened to him, Proverbs 6, 2. It says, you have been trapped by what you have said and have been ensnared, ensnared by the words of your mouth. You know, the words of our mouth, the Bible's saying, is like a trap. It's like a snare. If you're a hunter and you're going to go and try to hunt an animal, what you might do is implement a tool of a snare. And there's a lot of different tools that hunters use to try to catch animals, but the most basic is a snare. And so they'll take a piece of rope and they'll get it and they'll put a loop in one end and they'll take it and they'll tie it to a tree or they'll fix it to a rock or they'll dig a hole in the ground and they'll put it somewhere that the animal can't pull out. And then they'll take this snare and they'll put it on the ground so the little fox or the little deer or the pig will walk by and the animal will get his foot stuck in the snare And then as the animal is walking, he will get to a point that he can't make any more forward progress. Look what the Bible says. It says, you have been trapped by what you say and ensnared by the words of your mouth. 
So a hunter will trap an animal. The trap doesn't kill the animal, right? It's not the thing that kills the animal. The animal's still alive, but it now enables the hunter to come in and impose his will on the one that has been trapped. So the enemy can come in and grab the fox and throw him in a cage or can get out a gun and shoot him and kill him. You know, the Bible says that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So if someone is seeking to devour someone, that means they are hunting them. So the devil is literally hunting us. And the Bible tells us that he has a trap, a snare in our words, that if we'll just step in it, and if we'll just use our words in the wrong way, it's going to stop all of our forward progress. Angry words stop our forward progress. Have you ever been in an argument and it goes somewhere and you don't even understand how you got to where you are now? Right? Where the argument started out at a level two. It's like not even a big deal kind of thing. It's like, hey, we're about to be late. Can you hurry up? And then it explodes into something. Or it's, hey, the inspection on my car, the sticker's out. Will you go do it? Yeah, I'll go do it. A month goes by and you forgot. And then it turns into this big thing. Hey, will you put the laundry from the washing machine into the dryer? Yeah, I'll do it. And then you forget. And now you're in this gigantic explosive thing. You know why? Because the snare of our mouth it stops our ability to have this forward progress. Because when we don't control our emotions, we start saying things that are not even involved with what's actually happening, and we find ourselves in a big fight that's causing all kind of problems in our life, and people are yelling, and people are screaming, and people are crying, and words are being said to each other, and people are bringing up stuff from that happened five years ago in the past because something happened with a washing machine. The devil knows that a house that is divided cannot stand, right? And so what he wants to do is he wants to, through your own words, ensnare you in something so you can't make any progress. And so now what happens is the devil traps me over here and then he traps my wife over there and we can't connect. We're disunified with each other. And so now the enemy can come into our relationship and do anything he wants to do because I can't fight. I couldn't be very successful in a fight while I'm tied to this rope. And so the enemy, he comes in while we're trapped and while we're saying things we shouldn't be saying, and he starts speaking lies and starts speaking manipulation and starts speaking negativity into me and into my wife and into my home and into my job and into my finance and into my health and all of these things simply because we don't have control of our words. Luke, he says this. It says in Luke that out of the abundance of the heart... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in our heart comes out of us and out of our mouth. Now, I don't have time to really preach this, but sometimes the problem isn't only what's here, but what's here. Because these words are always anchored to something deeper. And so if you find yourself having explosions, if you find yourself freaking out or turning a cold shoulder, maybe there's, I love you, but maybe there's something inside that you need to deal with. The Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It says in Luke later, it says that a good man brings the good out of what's stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings out evil that is stored in his heart. And so many times the words that are coming out of our mouth are anchored in a much deeper place, and so we need to be intentional about those things. The devil, he gets us ensnared and blinded We're blinded in anger, we're blinded with hurt, we're blinded with insecurity, and we're saying all these things that we shouldn't be saying. And then he just sits back, the devil just sits back, 
and he lets you kill each other. Your marriage. He doesn't have to do anything now because you're all so mad and shooting volcano, shooting lava everywhere that you're killing each other. So here's what I want us to do today. Ready? It's really simple. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take the snare. I want us to take it off. That's what we want to accomplish today. So wisdom is applying knowledge. So we've gained some knowledge. This is what's happening. This is the devil's strategy. This is the plan. So now that I understand it, I can avoid it, right? So we're going to talk about how we can avoid the snare that the enemy wants to lay out for us. In James chapter 3, there's a phenomenal portion of scripture I'd encourage you to read that talks about the tongue. I want to read some of the verses this morning. It says this, uh, starting verse 2. It says, we all make many mistakes. No, duh. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder can make a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. As people, we love to be in control. We love to be in control. That's why people like riding horses. They're in control of this giant animal. It's why as mankind, we build these gigantic machines and earth movers and huge planes so that we can be in control of something that's bigger than us. But the Bible's saying that in all of our strength and in all the things we can create and control, we can't even control this little thing in our mouth. I can control my giant truck with my hand and my foot and go anywhere I want to go and pull anything I want to pull, but I can't control this little thing in my mouth. It goes on in verse 5. It says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. This, listen to this part. It is a whole world of wickedness. This thing is a whole world of wickedness. It's anchored in our heart, and we say things that cause chaos in our lives. It says corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. You see that? That your tongue, it's set on fire by hell itself. The devil, the enemy, his goal is to come in and be a verbal pyromaniac in your life. He wants your words to explode on the people around you. He is wanting to come in and be a arsonist of your emotions and come in and light it on fire and stand at a distance and watch you just blaze. And so we have to understand that hell is trying to manipulate the words that we're saying. A couple of years or a year or so ago, we did a series here called Minefield where we talked about how the devil will get on your shoulder and he'll speak lies into your mind. He'll speak lies into your head. And so he gets up there and he starts speaking negativity and insecurity and manipulation and all this different stuff. And what he's doing while he's up there is he's really trying to pour gasoline in your mouth because he wants you to just... He wants you to just start burning people down and burning things in your life up. And so we have to understand that hell is trying to get our mouth to speak its agenda. Hell is sending words into your mouth. You see, he's trying to get you to, he's, hell is trying to speak through you to your husband. Wives, hell is trying to get you to speak its agenda over your husband. Husband, hell is trying to get you to speak its agenda over your wife. Parents, 
Hell is trying with everything it can to get its agenda proclaimed over your children through your own mouth. It's about to get real serious up in here. It's about to get real heavy. I'm about to go somewhere. And I'm not trying to offend anybody. I love you. I love you. And so I'm not trying to just be cute or something, but hell is trying to push its agenda through your mouth. And so with all the love I can muster, some of you got to learn to shut the hell up. I'm not cursing at you, but hell has an agenda. It's trying to bring destruction in your life, and it's speaking through your tongue. Where do you think that term came from? Where do you think vernacular shut the hell up came from? It came right here, because people would be telling a lie, and someone would look at that person and say, you need to shut that hell up in your life. Someone would be speaking negatively or speaking with anger, and they'd say, that's hell. You need to shut that hell up. And so with all the love that I can muster, man, some of us, have areas in our life that we need to shut the hell up. Let me give you some examples. (laughs) If you're a husband in this place and you're cursing at your wife, you're yelling at her and telling her what she isn't and how she's not good enough, you need to shut the hell up. Because that's the agenda of the enemy trying to bring destruction to your wife. If you're a wife in this place and you can't ever find nothing good to say about your husband, and every time he comes home, it's just what he hasn't done and how he's a loser and how he doesn't do as good as his brother or good as his friend. And oh, he screwed up so bad three years ago or five years ago or three months ago. Ladies, I love you, but you've got to shut the hell up. You've got to shut that stuff down in your life. If you're getting in fights in your marriage, you're having arguments in front of your children, and you're telling each other how you hate each other. I should have never married you. I'm going to leave you. I want a divorce Shut the hell up, man. Shut it up. A fool vents their anger. A fool speaks out of all of their emotions. You're sowing seeds into your children, into your family that are only going to sow destruction. I'll talk to myself sometimes worse than I would ever let someone else talk to me. That if somebody else came and said the stuff I, talked to me, I said to me, I would punch him dead in the face. But yet I'll look myself in the mirror and say, you're a loser. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You can't accomplish the things that God's called you to do. You know what I have to do? I have to tell myself, shut the hell up, Trustin. Shut up. I'm not being disrespectful. Please take off your religious offended hat. Seriously, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I want you to understand this is hell's agenda, is to bubble up in you and start speaking its negative prophecy over your life. We have to shut those things down. Proverbs 15, 18, it says this, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. That we're stirring up our own problems when we don't learn how to shut our mouth sometimes. But, a slow, uh, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Now, I gotta tell you this. I'm not telling you this to use it as a weapon. So do not get into an argument with your spouse this week and start yelling at them and say, Pastor Trustin told me you, you need to shut the hell up. No, no, no. I'm talking to you. The only person you need to say that to is yourself. Right? Because the reason they're acting that way, you might have been acting crazy in the first place. And so if you would push down the agenda of the enemy and push down the lies that Satan is trying to get gasoline to come out of your mouth, that would fix the problem. Okay, you got it? So don't be cursing at your wife, saying, well, Pastor, you said you up there saying hell all kinds of No, you're not paying attention to what I'm saying. You got to say that to yourself. Okay, that's enough. 
in all the counseling that I've done and all the people that Rachel and I have talked to over the years, talking with couples, you know what I've never heard, Rachel, I don't think we've ever heard this before. I don't think we've ever sat down and a wife say, you know, last night my husband, he got real mad at me and he started yelling at me and uh, he, he started cursing at me and he called me stupid and called me a loser and said that he hated me. And you know when he started cursing? It really was good for me to hear all those things. And it really helped me realize that I'm out of line. I never heard that in my whole life. But yet, we think that's going to work. So we freak out and we yell and we scream and we think that's going to help our wife change in the direction we want her to change. I've never heard a man say, you know, my wife and I, uh, we got into an argument and my wife, she told me that I was a loser and she told me that I'm good for nothing and that she wishes she never married me and that her mom was right. And then she made, gave me this big list about how all the times I've screwed up in my life. And you know, when she told me I was a loser, you know what? It really motivated me to be a winner. I've never heard that in my whole life. But we speak this negative stuff over each other, and then we expect something positive to come out of it. We have to shut up, man. We have to shut these things up. The enemy is trying to produce its agenda through our mouth, and so we have to shut it down. If we could learn how to shut up, we would not step into the snare. And if we didn't step into the snare, we wouldn't stop our progress. And if we wouldn't stop our progress, our marriages, our children, our vocations, our finances, our physical health, our confidence could all get better if we could just learn to shut up and not step into the snare that so easily entangles us. We have to stop being a microphone for Satan. We, we are a microphone sometimes for Satan. I have a microphone on my head. And so this thing, it amplifies my voice. And so what the devil wants to do is amplify his message through your mouth. We have to shut up. We have to say no. We have to rip it off and say, I'm not going to be an amplification piece to speak negativity over my kids. I know they're not doing good in school. Help them. Don't curse at them about how they're doing bad. Right? We have to speak life into these situations. Life into what's happening. Proverbs 18 verse 20. It says this. It's so good. Such a great scripture. Proverbs 18 20. It says... From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. From the fruit of our mouth. So if you have a spiritual tummy ache, maybe it's because you're eating rotten fruit. And it says, with the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. So if you're not satisfied in life, maybe it's because you're planting the wrong stuff. You're planting the wrong things. It goes on one of the most famous verses of Scripture. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those... Who, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That our tongue in it, it contains two things. It contains death and it contains life. We're the ones who get to choose what it's speaking. We're in control of what we're saying, of what we're proclaiming over our life. It's with this thing that we prophesy our future, y'all. We can either prophesy divorce and destruction and hurt. We can speak to all those things or we can speak to life and say, my tongue is going to be a tongue that speaks life. Matthew 18, 18. Jesus says this. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So whatever you tie up and you don't allow to run around in the physical, that means in the spiritual it won't get loose. But whatever you loose in the physical will be loosed in the spiritual. The problem is, is that many times we're binding the good things and we're loosing the bad things. 
We're binding up the I love yous, and we're binding up the I believe in yous, and we're binding up our future is great, and we're letting go the I hate you, and I'm frustrated with you, and nothing's ever going to get any better. Am I preaching to anybody or just me up here? And so we, we, we hold on to the things we know we should be speaking, but we let go of all this junk, and hell is producing its agenda through our very own mouth. Man, the devil is just a copycat of God. He's just a copycat of God. God says that if you pray to me, if you speak it out, I'm going to bring you blessing. And the devil's saying, well, if you speak out this negativity, then I'm going to sow negativity into your life. We have to stop prophesying death and destruction, divorce and depression. Stop speaking the worst over yourself, man. Start speaking positive things. Start speaking blessing and speaking favor and speaking a future and a destiny. The Bible in Proverbs 16, 24, it says this. It's so good. It says, gracious words, positive, happy, good words. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body, like a honeycomb. Have you ever eaten honey? It's so sweet. It's making my mouth water right now. It's so good, right? It really is. And so it's so good. And the Bible says that positive words are like a honeycomb. And do you see the two places that it says that it will sweeten? Two things. It says sweetness to the soul and to the body. We're made up of three pieces, body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit's already handled if you're a believer. You're already in right relationship with Jesus, so your spirit's already got it on lockdown. You're good. But your soul, your mind, your emotions, your feelings, your experiences, your mind needs some sweetness. And so the sweetness comes through the gracious words. And our body, there's scientific proof that if you have positivity coming out of your mouth, that your acid levels in your body literally get reduced, that inflammation goes down. There's all of the stuff that about negativity, what it does to us and what positivity does. And the Bible, Solomon is saying it here in Proverbs. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 25, 11, it says, A word spoken at the right time is like golden apples on a silver tray. (laughs) Golden apples, I don't even know what a golden apple is. Golden apples is extremely valuable on a tray of silver. And so Living Church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start serving up yourself some honeycomb and some golden apples. Start serving to yourself. Husbands, go home and serve your wife some honeycomb and some golden apples. Wives, Get your husband a golden apple and a side of honeycomb and serve it to him this week and watch what happens. He'll be like, who is this lady? What's happening up in my house? Serve your children. Serve your boss. Serve the people around you. Instead of serving destruction and frustration and hatred, serve something positive. Man, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at me because I did it wrong so long. Start serving yourself some good things. In your life, your life will move in the direction of your words, Right? The direction of your words is the way that your life will move. And so if you can't talk negative and expect to have a positive life, you can't talk defeat and expect to live in victory. You can't talk lack and expect to have abundance. We have to talk in the right direction. And if you don't like what you're seeing, change what you're saying. If you don't like the fruit in your life, stop planting that seed, right? Start changing the things that you're saying. You stop saying, I'll never get healthy and start saying, my health is coming. Stop saying my marriage is never going to get better. Start saying we've been through some stuff, but God is good and he's going to use us to help some others in the future. Right? Stop saying I don't have a job. I'm broke. I can't get a job. Start saying God's opening doors for me. He's going to provide the way where there was no way. Right? We have to start speaking positive things into our life. And it's not some like hippie, you know, wear a tie-dye shirt and make a crown of dandelion stuff. It's like faith. 
You know, it's speaking faith into our life and saying that our God is good and he's on the throne and he does as he pleases. And so I'm going to prophesy positivity over myself instead of negativity. We talk about the problem instead of the promise. We're so good at talking about the problems. Get on Facebook, talking about the problem. Oh, man, my life, man, man. I can't even hardly get on Facebook. People say so much negative stuff. Start talking about the promises of God, man. Declare the promises over your life, and God will start doing some great things. You know, God created the universe with his words. He spoke the universe into existence with mere words, and then he breathed life into mankind. So from this, God made all that is. Did you know that we are made in his image? So if God created the universe with his words, and we are made in his image, that means we can create things with our words. The Bible says this over and over and over again. The question is, what are you creating? What are you creating in your marriage, and your kids, and your finances, and your health, and your confidence? What are you creating? Because your words grow something. Your words do something. Start speaking the right things out of your life. James chapter 3, verse 11. I already read a bunch of James 3, so back into verse 11. It says this, Blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Blessing and cursing have the propensity to come out of the same mouth. You get to pick which one. What's coming out of your mouth? Blessing or cursing over your life? You see, when we will learn to shut the hell up, we can allow heaven to come out. But if hell keeps coming out, how's heaven supposed to get through? So we have to say, no, hell, you cannot have my family, you cannot have my marriage, you cannot have my destiny, and heaven, yes, you have access. Jesus, yes, I will speak your promises. We have to be very intentional out of what's coming out of our mouth. We have to make sure that we're creating the right thing. Man, I pity the fool, right? I pity the fool, and I pity myself. Because there's been seasons and situations where I didn't understand this. And I thought that it was through my power that I could get things done. But it's through God's promises that we can get things done. So that's what we have to speak out over our lives. That's what David did when he fought Goliath. Remember when David went out to fight Goliath? There's no scripture where David's talking about fear. He could have said, man, Goliath's bigger than me. Goliath's taller than me. Goliath's stronger than me. He has better weaponry than I have. He has a lot more experience in battle than I have. But he didn't speak to the problem. He spoke to the promise. And when David went out there and ran up against Goliath, he said this, Today the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will feed your carcass to the birds of the air. Sound confident at all? He went out with some authority with the promises of God, and he took that stone and he killed Goliath with it. Not because of only his ability here, but because of what he prophesied, because of what he spoke. So when you see a giant, don't talk about how scary it is. Talk about how big your God is. Because if David would have stood there and said, man, that giant is big. I don't know what to do. He's going to kick my butt when I go down there. Can I tell you something? He never would have gotten the fight. So you know what that means? Our wrong perspective stops us from ever entering into the blessing that God has for us. David's whole life was changed because he killed Goliath. But if he would have spoke negatively about the situation, he never would have even been in the fight in the first place. And so there's literal blessings that God wants to give you, but you are not even on the battlefield because your fear is stopping you. Your words are stopping you. James 3, verse 10. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with, with both fresh water and bitter water? No. 
There can't be a stream of good water and bitter water. You know, I know people, there are people in my life that know God and are in a relationship with God. But every time I see them, oh man, stuff's just not going good. Oh, it's not right. I just can't catch a break. Nothing's going my direction. I feel like, you know, what's happening? I don't even know what to do. What's next? God, where are you? Have you forsaken me? And I stand there and look at them and go, man, I pity the fool. Because your life isn't going to get any better. I've been seeing you for two years, and every time I see you, all you do is talk about the bad stuff that's happening. Start, who, where's God in your equation, man? Start speaking what heaven has to say. Instead of the agenda of hell, it goes on in verse 12, and it says, does a fig tree produce olives? So like, does an apple tree grow oranges? No. Does a grapevine produce frigs? No. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. You see, what you speak, it produces things. What you plant, it grows something. Yeah. Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great anger will bear the penalty. A man of great anger will bear the penalty. So what you're sowing, you're going to reap. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the sluggard and how the sluggard has a field. And the field's all grown up and the walls are eroded down. Let's say the sluggard got motivated and changed his life. And he went out and he cleaned up his field and he rebuilt the walls and he's about to plant something in his field. So he goes to the seed store and he says, hey, I want to uh, plant some strawberries in my field. And so he gets a big bag of strawberry seeds, and he walks up to this newly plowed, ready field, and he starts throwing out strawberry seeds, and he, he plants them all in the field. And then he goes back to his house, but he looks at the bag and realizes that he didn't pick up strawberry seeds, but he picked up poison ivy seeds. Who knows that his field would get jacked up? What would grow in his field? Poison ivy. Strawberries, won't, his intention, he wants strawberries, but he sowed the wrong thing. And sometimes in our life, we look at the field of our life and go, why does it look, why is my marriage so bad? Why is my health so bad? Why is my confidence so bad? What have you been sowing into it? We say we want strawberries, but we just sow poison ivy. We have to look at the things that we're saying because the Bible says that our words produce fruit. And sometimes we've been sowing poison ivy in our field for 10 years. And then we say, you know what, I want to make a change. So we go and we buy some strawberries. Okay, this is the right bag. These are actually strawberry seeds. And then we take a handful of strawberry seeds and we throw them out into our field full of poison ivy. And then we come back the next day to your wife and say, do you love me now? She's like, my, our, all I see is poison ivy. And so sometimes the only way to get a harvest that you want is to roll up your sleeves and to start pulling out some stuff that hurts and to start pulling out some poison ivy and it's going to hurt and it's going to cut and it's going to itch and it might even keep growing back for a couple years. But you've got to be faithful and you've got to pull those things out and throw them away. You've got to go to counseling. You've got to go to a life group and talk to somebody. You've got to sit down and like schedule dates with each other and like talk about the hard stuff. You know the way that Rachel and I don't get into crazy fights just like randomly throughout the week is because we schedule conflict conversation. We'll have lunches where we know we're coming to lunch to talk about problems we have with each other. But when you do that, it literally changes the dynamic of your entire life because now we're handling our conflict like mature adults instead of me turning into a volcano and her turning into a super volcano, right? Instead of those things happening. <laughs> instead of that happening, we're scheduling, <laughs> she's taking her hoops off, we schedule the conflict. And when you schedule it, it's not just erupting. And so plant the things in your life that you want to have planted and pull the things out that you don't want to have growing. You see, your mouth, your mouth has a disproportionate return. 
Seeds, I heard a quote this week, I don't remember who it's from. He said, with one grain of corn, I can feed a nation. He talked about how he could plant one grain of corn and that would turn into a whole corn stalk. He would grow a whole corn stalk with a bunch of ears of corn that contain a whole bunch of seeds. Then he could take all those seeds and plant those seeds and that would be enough to plant a whole field. And then that would be enough to feed a whole nation. In a seed, there's the power of disproportional growth. Your words are the same thing. One sentence is so powerful and it's disproportionately powerful, right? You, know, you ever just said something and then the other person freaks out and you're like, dude, what happened? I just said one thing. It's because your words are powerful. Your words are seeds. And so if we could just sow the right seed for a little while and just pull the old stuff out for a little while, our whole harvest would change. The whole crop of your life would change. But you have to look at the things that you are sowing. If the band would, uh, would come this morning. Man, we have to throw out the negative things. you know, Because if you work it, it will work. If you work at it, it will work. If you pull the stuff out and put the right stuff in, it will work. So I wrote down some things and some areas that we need to speak into our life. Some areas that we need to speak. One, we need to speak life into others. Everyone say others. others. We need to speak life into others, into people around us. We need to say things like, baby, I love you. Husband, I love you. We say, I believe in you. I like spending time with you. You're my friend. I married the right person. We need to start speaking positive things into those around us. We need to say, we have a great future together. Together, me and you, we're unstoppable. We've been through a lot, and we can go through anything else that the hell wants to throw at us. You have to speak positively over your marriage and over your relationships. You also have to speak, number two, positively over situations. Sometimes there's tough situations in life, right? There's tough things that happen. You get a doctor's report, but you don't need to speak the death. You need to speak life and say, I'm getting well. I'm getting healthy. God's promises are yes and amen. He bore my shame on his back and he's going to provide my healing through the stripes on his back. We need to speak life into those situations. We need to speak life into, if you don't have a job, say, I'm going to get a job. God's opening the door. If you're single up in this place, don't start saying, man, I'm going to be single forever. I'm just going to have to marry some scrub I met at the club on Friday night. No, say, God has a godly woman for me. God has a godly man for me. Start speaking those things into life and watch the seeds grow. Watch the fruit be produced in your life into these negative situations. Your kid's not doing good in school. Start saying, my kid is smart. My kid, I see what they do. I know how smart they are. I don't care what a teacher says. I care what my God says, and he will supply all my needs. And so start speaking life over your children and watch what God does in that situation. Lastly, we need to speak life over ourselves. Man, we have to speak life over ourselves, but we speak death over ourselves all the time. So I wrote a list of stuff that we have to speak over ourselves when we get up in the morning so that we can see great things happen. We have to say, I am strong. We have to say, I am full of energy. I am passionate. I am talented. I am secure. I am valuable. I am confident. I have a good personality. People like me. I'm fun to be around. I'm happy. I have a great life. I, I enjoy my life. I'm a person of excellence. I'm full of integrity in my decisions. I'm successful. I'm prosperous in all that I do. My children are mighty. I'm going to live to fulfill my purpose. I'm going to create a legacy for the next generation. I'm a child of God. He loves me. No matter what I do, he'll forgive me. He believes in me. I can step into his courts and begin to praise him, and he listens. See how it changes the, the temperature of the room? But we're so good at speaking the bad. And for some reason, it's kind of uncomfortable to speak the good. 
We have to flip it, y'all. We have to get uncomfortable saying the negative things, and we have to become comfortable speaking out who we are and declaring the promises of God in our life. We have to change our words and we'll change our life. Don't let hell speak through you anymore. Let heaven speak through you. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you, God, that your plans are to prosper us, not to harm us, but to give us hope and a future. And I thank you for it, God. And Lord, I ask that you help all of us shut the things up that we don't need to allow to be spoke and for us to open our minds to your promises and allow truth to flow out of our mouths. And God, that the fields of our life would be ripe with harvest, with plenty. And God, that we would eat from the fruit that's produced and it would be a good harvest. Help the marriages in this room. I didn't intend for this to be a marriage message, but it kind of turned into it. And so God, help the marriages. Help us, God, with the little frustrations. God, help us with the things that are deep in our heart with the things that we need to talk about that go back 5, 6, 10, 15 years. Help us to just dig it out and put it on the table and have a conversation like grown adults and get over it. Because you have great things for these people. You have great things for this church. And we want to be whole and healthy to see it all come to pass. We thank you, Lord, in your name we all said, Amen. Now before we go on this morning, if you're here in this place and you've never spoken some of the most important words, which is Jesus forgive me my sins and come into my heart, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you've never said, God, I've messed up. I'm far from you. The Bible says that God loves you more than you can even imagine. So one more time, if you would, church, close your eyes and bow your heads. If that's you, and you'd say, I want to be in a relationship with God. I want to be forgiven of my sins and know I'm in a right relationship with Jesus. On the count of three, I want you to just join some that raised their hands this morning and join the hundreds of us here that have already asked Christ into our life. If that's you, on the count of three, just raise your hand. We're going to pray a prayer. We're not going to stand you up and embarrass you. We just want to let you know that we're with you. If that's you, on the count of three, raise it up. One, two, three. Yep, I see these hands in the center. Yep, I see it in the back. Two in the back. I see this lady in the back. Anybody else? Five, six. Yep, I see you, man. Seven people. Anybody else would say, today is my day. Today is my day. Hands all over the room. Living Church, would you pray with me and with these people that raised their hands this morning? Everyone say this. Dear God, forgive me my sins and come into my heart. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. It may not be easy, but I know you love me, and I know you're with me. I thank you. Amen. Can we put our hands together for these few that raised their hands this morning? It's so good.